So you're off to Nepal. You said next Tuesday? Yep. Uh, fly up from New York Tuesday morning. It'll be a nice 24 hours of flying. Yeah. Holy. Is that the furthest flight you have ever done? No, I've flown down to Australia a couple of times and that's like, uh, like 24 or more. That's a, that's a big one. Any tips for long flights? There's nothing really good about it. There's nothing you can really do. You know, like, <laughs> gotta, sleep as much as you can. Yeah. And work in like, force yourself to get up and walk up and down the plane. Mm. Like, book a good airline that is going to have like comfortable seats, even in economy, you know, like Oof. it's really just nothing you can prepare for. And it's kind of a, like a trip because you get on this flight and then like a day goes by and you just wind up in this random new place. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Uh, Aaron hates flying. Aaron, no, I don't. I don't. Know. It's not that I hate flying. I don't mind. You're not flying. built for flying. I'm not built for flying. And <laughs> I've I've done some flights. I I did South Korea. That's 14 hours to California, and uh, by like hour 10, I was like, I don't fucking care. If this plane crashes. I don't yeah. care. <laughs> like, I'm all dark. set. I am all set <laughs> with this situation. Yeah. Uh, and that's me being afraid to fly. Like I was done. I was like, no more fear. Like, let's just, I'm good. Let's get off. It's definitely like <laughs> a, it's definitely a mind fuck after being on like just in a seat for that long. Mm. Where have you been this year? How are you not completely burnt? Yeah. Um, you? <laughs> I'm pretty lucky that I have, um, I come home to my parents' house here in New Hampshire, like, a decent amount after my big trips, which is like such a sweet place to recuperate. Yeah, so far I've been through Ecuador, Peru, Costa Rica, Mexico. I spent a lot of time out west, out in Colorado most of the summer. Uh, just kind of so you got to the Canadian Rockies too. Yeah, I was there um, last fall. That was actually my first time going up there. I'd like to get back. Yeah, there's uh, a lot on the plate coming up. And, you know, I kind of just have like really prioritized like getting eight hours of sleep and, you know, small things that add up when you're traveling and you just don't really think about it. So that's definitely been helpful. Yeah. yeah. Can I, I, I hear Tibet and I go, Snow Leopard. Yeah, I wish. Uh, <laughs> is there any chance of that? You know, um, so Nepal and Tibet are really harsh with uh, camera gear. And permits, you know, they're trying to kind of like gouge you for every single cent. So I kind of have to bring limited gear. Um, I definitely don't have a lens for snow leopards. You know, I think if you're going to go find snow leopards, it's like you go there for snow leopards and that's your trip. Yeah. But yeah, man, that would be uh, a dream to see them and photograph them. Yeah. Unbelievable. So you're heading to Nepal, run us through and uh, before we get into listener questions, because you've obviously been on the show before, so people will recognize your name. We'll get into some listener questions you got. Run us through, uh, what are you going to be doing in Nepal and how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, for sure. So it's actually pretty cool. Like I'll be doing this trek called Mustang Trek and it's up in um, the northeastern part of Nepal, up close to Tibet. And so we'll kind of be hiking along the border there. It's a region of Nepal that's been closed to tourism up until the late 90s. And so they just reopened it and they only allow a certain amount of people in every year. So I basically got the opportunity through my college roommate. His grandmother runs the Nepal Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that helps build schools in a lot of infrastructure in Nepal and primarily in the remote mountain villages. Um, they do a lot of amazing work there and a lot of it's focused on schools and roads. So I've actually been able to connect with her and she had this trek in the works for a couple years now, but obviously COVID kind of put a, a halt to it. And then it kind of just came around this October and it worked out where I was able to go and she needed a photographer to document it um, because they want to hold a gallery uh, to kind of showcase the work that they're doing and the uniqueness of the places we're going. So yeah, I got really lucky and it was just kind of, you know, uh, I have a really good friend and he has a pretty awesome grandmother. Um, and it just kind of worked out like that. 
You know what's funny though? So I can tell you right now, there'll be a small number of people who go, oh, like he just knew somebody. He had an in. That's what fucking networking is, man. It's like how cleverly and creatively can you build opportunities for yourself while giving back? You know what I mean? I feel like people who say that have poor networking skills. Right? Yeah, totally. You know, I think uh, you like with photography, especially like every single business needs photos. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a lot of friends that run different companies or entrepreneurs, you know, it's all about those connections and those relationships you build. And, you know, I think it, like you said, it's easy to say you knew someone and that's true, but you know, it's still a job where I'm going to go and hopefully add value to. And where there's pressure. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And I mean, it goes so much. There's a million and one awesome photographers who could do, don't take this the wrong way, probably as good a job as you. Maybe not a million because you're great. A thousand. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but what sets people apart who like get these kind of opportunities is their personality and their ability to be trustful and deliver and reliable and dependent. So um, I just heard yeah. that and I was like, I wanted to smash that people who have that thought like, oh, well, he just knows someone. It's like, well, no, like, you probably uh, you develop, yeah, Aaron, go not, ahead. Not even knowing someone, but like how many people would balk, including maybe myself at like a 24 hour flight and this is your situation. You got to pay this, pay that, like whatever, right. it is, you know, like uh, where you're like, man, sounds hard, <laughs> you yeah. know, and just like yeah. give up at that point too versus uh, I'm sure there's a piece of you, if you're honest, that's like, Oh, like this is going to be a rough flight and this is going to be tough and I'm going to be exhausted and it's going to be hard, but I need to seize this opportunity. It doesn't necessarily come easy, like you know? So yeah. I think that's that's going to knock off of the thousand, a few hundred right there. Just sure. like the like the hassle of it, if you will. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, then you also like, you know, Nepal's, you know, pretty underdeveloped country. So, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. we're going to have a lot of comfort and convenience along the way, you know? So that honestly are things that appeal to me because it puts so many people off to that, you know, like the fact that we're not going to have showers for two weeks, we're not going to have normal toilets for two weeks. We're not going to have a lot of like meat and like normal foods, I guess you could say like those things to me are really cool and they kind of make the experience a lot more difficult, but for me, that's kind of where I get my best work is in those kind of raw situations where like emotion is just so obvious and apparent mm-hmm. everywhere. But I'm sure it would put a lot of people off, you know, because it's just pretty rough. Yeah. So do you, do you feel pressure in this kind of situation? You know, I don't really know. Um, I haven't really had a job like this. So not normally because to me, this is kind of like my bread and butter with photography is like the adventure out of it, you know, where like you're capturing a lot of candid photography. It's not pose. It's not product photography. It's capturing those emotions, capturing those moments, anticipating. For me, that's kind of what I enjoy most. Um, So I think I'll be okay. But you know, there's always that nerves when it ends and you have to deliver the photos and you're waiting mm-hmm. to get back, but that's with every job. I love that level of confidence. It's my bread and butter. I've been practicing, I've been training, I deserve to be here and I have all the skills required to execute. So I'm going to. Like that's a level of confidence I hope all listeners either have or are working to get to. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, like, just about time, right? You take the time and you focus on different aspects of photography and you kind of learn where your strengths and weaknesses are. And, you know, you kind of focus more on what interests you the most and you just kind of pursue that. And after a while, you just get good at it, right? I mean, um, I'm sure you guys can attest to that with, you know, wildlife photography and the the focuses of photography that interests you guys the most because, you just spend so much time doing it. And when you do that, it's inevitable, right? You're going to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, and let me ask you uh, on the spot, you're a pretty self-aware guy. What are your strengths and weaknesses as a photographer, if you had to classify them? My strengths for sure are the ability to anticipate a moment in the field. My strengths are definitely photographing people 
I think my weaknesses can kind of get into the being patient, you know, and mm-hmm. being patient. You know, I have a difficulty kind of sitting in place and waiting for that moment, even if it's going to happen. Like I imagine right. snow leopards would be really difficult for me. And so for me, I like to be in motion because I just feel kind of like it flows a little bit better and the photographs I capture are a little more natural and authentic than, you know, if I'm setting up for a sunrise in the Tetons or something like that. Right. Um, and that's kind of what I've been working hard at anyways. You know, I don't think I had those strengths a year ago. <laughs> I think um, I realized that that was the type of work that interests me and that is the skill set you need for that type of work. And so I just, you know, did that as often as I could. Very good. Very good. I've been having that thought recently. Like I've been trying to do some self-assessments. Like where am I, where am I lacking? Just so that I'm, you know, aware of some holes to fill and how I can be better. And, uh, I might as well share them with people. I found that like recently I'm very, I get very excited about new ideas and so much so that sometimes I forget, I don't finish what I've started because I'm so excited by the next newest thing. I'm sure lots of people are like nodding their head. Maybe that's a thing with creative people, photographers specifically, but, uh, definitely something to consider knowing what you don't know, where you're strong, where you can maybe improve. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I love that you're thinking about that because that's sure. how you get better, right? And like, it is about that self-awareness. You know, you have to realize that you have weaknesses in even a craft you've been practicing and working at for a while. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think that's also where some benefits of social media come in, where you can follow people that inspire you and look at their work and be like, oh, wow, like I do have, you know, areas where I can improve in my own work. Um, right which is i think is pretty cool where's your attention with social media right now like your usage yeah it's not great you know Um, (laughs) we're all feeling the pain in different ways and some of us aren't some of us are excelling yeah in different areas you know i've i've tried to go about it with such a positive attitude over the past six months Uh, Uh, those kind of have been put in the back seat you know i remember a year ago just I'd just, you know, get up and just focus on editing one photo to put out there and be like, oh, that was a good day. Like I edited a photo, I posted it, like mm-hmm. got the engagement and new following and whatnot. And now it's like... Feels like nothing. <laughs> nothing or like emptiness. Like what do I even do? Like, so I've put energy into creating reels. I've put energy into really focusing on like um, catalogs of photos from certain trips I've done. And... You know, I just, it's ironic. I found with reels that like my cinematic footage, the stuff I've been working on, mm. the artists, which here we go, not bombs. <laughs> and then <laughs> Aaron and I had this discussion that. today, literally today, yeah. without telling you, we had this discussion that like the cinematic, yeah. well thought out gimbal, like, I'm trying too hard. <laughs> it, like it does so shit. And then just like a shaky iPhone of a pano of where you are blows up. I just, Aaron and I were talking like, man, don't, if, if you care about getting those plays, like give less of a shit almost. <laughs> yeah. And it's so unfortunate because like I enjoy putting those cinematic videos together. Right. And you should. Exactly. You know, and then you just see yeah. a video of a sunset and you, you know, you're like, that took no skill. Yeah, and, but right. I, I feel like you should, you should, you should stick with it. You should stick with Absolutely. what you're doing and like. what you what you want to do, and making the best product out there. Because ultimately, if you're if you're selling yourself to a company, they they probably want like polished stuff. You know, nine times out of ten. But actually, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking about like a bunch of companies and some of the reels that they put out, and it's kind of it's uh, in trend with like the uh, just iPhone sort of stuff, but I guess it depends what you're trying to do. If you're working for like a tourism bureau or what have you, you, you want some polished video and want to be able to see what they're, what you can do and whether it does well on social media or not, maybe this is just at this point, like a per- portfolio and certain people see it. I, uh, I caught up with our friend Mike Nutrino today and we were just talking about Instagram real quick and he made a good point. He's like, you know, back in the day, like two years ago, you put out a photo and get, you know, 
maybe 2,000 likes or up to 3,000 likes and 30,000 people saw your photo. Like that's incredible if you think about it. Like it's, you know, three MSG gardens filled mm-hmm. uh, and of people that saw your work. But he's like, what came of it? Like how many prints did you sell from those 30,000 people that saw your stuff? And I was like, mm, uh, one, uh, like none, mainly none. It's like, it's, it's the same. It's just like a, a weird ego thing with, with numbers that we have, but nothing's really changed except for the number that goes next to your photo. And if you really break it down, Seth and I have talked about it too, is like, you're putting your photo up for free. You have a a beautiful portfolio. You have a beautiful storage device in a sense that catalogs your adventures, catalogs your life. And even if like, let's, even if uh, 380 people saw your photo and that's way down from what was 380 people like stopped on your photo and liked it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's still pretty, pretty damn flattering and pretty damn impressive that you're reaching that many people. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about just the ego aspect and just like, if you can just check your ego and realize that like, it's not about the engagement, it's about like who sees it, you know, the Mm -hmm. right people see it. Because all it takes is, you know, one brand manager or one, you know, Natrio contributor to see your work. And maybe you get one like, but it's from the right person. You know, you do just it is difficult to go from a place where you're having all this intense exposure to just, you know, it dropping with like no explanation, even though your work's getting better. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's really good and really well said, Aaron, just, you know, checking your ego and realizing it's just like the numbers. Yeah. And I think with that, it's like that, this idea that with the numbers, if, if, 5,000 people like my photo, there's a better chance that one of them's important, you know? And what we lose track of is the ability that we all have to reach out to people and show them our work and let our work speak for itself. Everyone wants to be chosen, right? Like everyone wants, like, I want someone to come to me and offer me a photography job because they saw my stuff. All I did was post versus like, emailing 20 companies and maybe getting one reply that says no thank you and the rest like just don't even respond and then going back at it another week and doing the same thing like it's not it's not fun necessarily it's not glamorous but it's hard work yeah absolutely and the other thing too is i feel like people might get into a trap where the numbers are down but they are getting better as a photographer or a videographer or what whatever term you choose to use, but they think, they question, am I getting better? Cause the numbers aren't reflecting that. That'd be a horrible headspace to be in, you know, where you're questioning your own skill set. Yeah, absolutely. You're basing your own like credibility as a photographer off of something that can be so superficial. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, 20 minutes in here, it's a listener questions episode, my man. Um, Let's get into some questions you've received in your DMs and then um, we can go off on as many tangents as we like. So, I mean, you have access to them uh, if you want to read them out in the order you prefer and uh, maybe just shout the person out. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. Um, So, I guess the first one was from uh, my buddy Mike Um, and he was kind of hoping I would talk a bit about how I create pitch decks. And I know it's a bit specific of a topic to jump off into, but... That's um, all right. Let's do it. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that I've kind of picked up on and learned. Um, and it's really helped me acquire new clients away from social media, which I think is such a good thing to discuss because, you know after everything we just talked about with Instagram and, you know, limited exposure. Now there's, there's just this other way where, you know, outside of just blasting out emails, you can kind of create a deck that shows value that you can add to a client and mm-hmm. kind of start to build that relationship with, you know, an actual person um, that works for a brand. For me with like pitch decks, I'm pretty fortunate that I worked 
for an advertising agency before I was a photographer. And so I did these PowerPoint decks all the time, whether it was telling stories about data that we received from campaigns that we were running um, or looking at opportunities that we had, you know, it all kind of surrounded the value that we could gain and the value we could add to a company. And I kind of look at the pitch decks that I create for clients that I want to work with as in the same view. It's that, like, how can I add value to you? Like, why do you guys want to work with me? Why should you work with me? So when I'm kind of creating a pitch deck, I kind of always focus on like that value of like, why should they take time out of their day to look through this deck, to read my email, to look through my portfolio and to stop and think, maybe we should hire this guy. Maybe we should take a portion of our budget and put it towards this guy because maybe he can really do something for us. And the way I kind of go about that is, you know, it's like the nitty gritty research on a company. Like what did the brand value? You know, what are their ideals? Where do they need help with, you know, do they have certain products that uh, they don't have great photos of or, you know, just like finding that kind of gap in what they do and how I can fill it. And then another big thing for me is like, aligning on brand ideals. So for me, um, I had just done a pitch deck for Steo, which is an apparel company out in Jackson. Um, They do a lot of work with big time athletes. And I just love that type of photography. And I know that I can take their gear on my adventures and capture some pretty awesome photos. But for me to kind of create this pitch deck for them, you know, I have to understand what they value Uh, as a company. And so for them, a lot of it is like being environmentally friendly, like not breaking the rules when it comes to flying your drone or getting photos, like always making sure you get permits, you know, trying to find that authenticity and that genuine reaction in your photos and being candid. And those are all things that I really enjoy capturing and that Mm -hmm. I believe I'm pretty good at. So for me in my deck, it's like, that's what I'm going to focus on. Like, this is who I am. This is what I enjoy capturing. This is what I'm good at. This is also who you guys are. And this is also what you guys want to see. And then kind of from there, it's like, okay, well, let's get into the numbers because you're still, you're talking to someone who works for a corporation who works in marketing or advertising or content and they understand numbers. They understand what their budget is, how much they can allocate to you. And so you need to be able to give them, you know, whether it's a spreadsheet or just like a detailed outline of like, this is what the product's going to cost. This is what I charge. And this is what I'm going to deliver. And this is where you'll see your value when you use these photos or these videos uh, in your marketing campaigns. So that's always been a big thing for me is like actually breaking out the specific numbers down to like the dollar of what's Mm going to be spent, what needs to be spent and like where they'll then see their return. And then obviously creating like a portfolio that's specific to the work that they're looking for. So if I'm talking to an apparel company, I'm going to create my portfolio of all product photography uh, photos that I've done in the past for apparel companies. I'm not going to really show a lot of landscape photography or wildlife right. photography. I'm going to show them these are the shots that you're going to get, um, that you're going to have with your apparel, with your products. And then the kind of the final thing that I kind of like to do is kind of tie in some form of story because nowadays the story is really important to these companies, you know. So with Steel, it was like I wanted them to sponsor my trip down to South America and Central America where I was climbing volcanoes. And so the story there is like sponsoring a local Jackson Hole kid who's going to go down and solo travel and climb these peaks and adventure and kind of push his own limits and challenge himself, which are all things that this company like really strives for and really just values is that like pushing yourself to the next level, challenging yourself, like supporting a local community. And so for me, that was the story that I really focused on. And that's kind of how I look at pitch decks. So I'm working on one right now for Osprey and trying to show them how I can add value because I'm going to be bringing their pack through Nepal and from there on to, you know, other countries and other adventures. And so for me, it's like those five big things of like, how can you add value? Like, how are you going to align your brand ideals with their brand? 
And then understanding like you're speaking with people that are working in a corporation. So they understand the number side of things. If you can show them a breakdown of budgets, like it's going to be a lot easier them for them to then go to their boss and show it to their boss and so on and so on to get approval. Creating that specific portfolio that's tailored to the photos you'll be shooting for them and the photos that they need and then kind of putting it together into a story. Awesome. Yeah. And you're making the person you're in contact with life as easy as possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So a couple questions for you. Are you, I think you did say this, but I just want to clarify for listeners. You're making an individual deck for each pitch you're doing, or do you have a generic one at the start? And then when you get a bite, do you move into a more customizable template? Yeah, I make a new one every single time. And that's just because I have this idea of a template in my head, you know, the the things I want to touch on. But every project and every company is just so different that I find it a lot easier for myself if I can kind of start from the ground and work my way up. And on a more micro level, how long are your pitch decks? And what what platform are you using? Are you using Photoshop, Canva, a different Adobe uh, product? What's that look like? Yeah, so I usually use PowerPoint, um, just I'm familiar with. And I'd say they're, you know, five to 10 slides. I think the shorter, the better. You know, if you can get the point across in five or less, like that's great. Like that's the way because time is money. Uh, time is so important. So, this, you know, if people are flipping through a 16, 20, 30 page deck. You know, it's going to get exhausting. And I think it's also like getting really good at saying like, okay, here are the eight photos that I'm going to show them in my portfolio that like really, you know, highlight the work I can do for them. Um, rather than just like a 24 photo portfolio or a 50 photo portfolio, because they don't need to see that. They need to see the the ones that are really going to grab their attention. So yeah, that's kind of how I've gone about it. And it's kind of the way that was taught to me when um, I worked in the corporate world before photography. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any experience with this as well, because I'm always trying to learn and improve this you know business side of photography, which to me now feels like the most challenging part. (laughs) Yeah, I think, like you said, uh, stuff that's worked for us, and we're relatively new at this game, I would say, but um, stuff that's worked for us is believing in the company, like you're saying, Uh, whether it's a product that you can actually purchase sometimes first, if it's not too much of a financial uh, investment, even if it is a little bit and it's something you want and like, I think that investment can go a long way because now you're showing them your work with their exact product. Uh, you are also a fan. You're also someone that's purchased it and supported their company. I think that's gone a long way for us in terms of getting gigs and landing gigs. You know, here's a photo I did of your stuff versus Here's photos I did like some of your stuff. I don't have your stuff. I have a different brand, you know? So I think that kind of goes a long way. That's a little little thing right there. And then I think, like you said, making it as easy as possible for them. Have a story, have a narrative, have this is what I want to do. This is where I'm going. This is the cabin I already have. Like, this is the backdrop. These are the people that are going. This is what I want to create. This is the story. And they'll like it or not. But if you go with like, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to shoot your product. Like, can, can we, that's like, oh my God, this is going to be meetings and talking. And I don't know if they have any good ideas. Like this could be a waste of my time. There's 200 of these emails. So I think you guys just got to make it as easy as possible. A follow-up question for you. I'm, I'm curious, like what's the, what's the biggest pushback that you encounter these days? Is it, is it budget? Is it time? Is it, um, we already have a photography team. Like what's the biggest thing that, might be the the obstacle. Yeah, it's it's absolutely budget. <clears throat> um, you know, when you budget out a trip, as a photographer, you have your own rates, and then you have all the expenses that are going to be incurred. And so, if you're doing something like if I'm doing a trip in Jackson Hole where I live, the budget will be smaller, and you know, it's much easier to get someone to uh, sign off on that. But the competition for that type of work would be much higher because there's so many photographers in Jackson hole. But if I'm mm-hmm. saying I'm going to Nepal on this crazy unique trip, like there's not much competition for that because 
there aren't many people going that are going to photograph that. But the budget is going to be exponential. The budget is going to be huge because it's like, I need my flights covered. I need like everything covered about this trip. And then I need to get my rates. I need to get paid for it. And so when companies start seeing five, 10, 15, $20,000, it's like a, you know, whoa, like that's, that's a big chunk of our marketing budget for this quarter. And that's when you really have to, one thing I've learned to do that I really think helps a lot is I always try to get the people I'm talking with onto a Zoom call so I can walk them through what I'm doing here with my deck. And so I can also just, you know, break through that anonymity with technology and just like talk to someone mm-hmm. in person and be like, what are your concerns about this? Like, I understand your budget's tight, but like, let me show you how 200 photos of your gear in Nepal are going to really add a lot of value in the back end when you start using those photos in marketing campaigns and start selling gear. Um, so that's always been just like a really important thing is like cut through the, the actual technology and the deck and like, let's make this a conversation between people. What piece of advice would you have maybe to listeners who struggle with consistently undervaluing themselves because they're scared about um, scaring their potential client away? There's a couple of ways you can go about it. Like one is just looking at what the average rates are for a photographer of your level. Uh, I've done a bunch of research into this by just looking at what other photographers charge. Um, Do you have like, can you elaborate a little on those details? What you found maybe or? Yeah. So I've, I've um, talked with friends that are photographers um, that have been doing it for a lot longer than I have. And I've looked at, you know, what their rate sheet looks like. Um, I've done research into what the average photographer will charge for a day shoot, which is usually around 800 to $1,200. And then I've talked to some of the bigger photographers, um, on Instagram, like the, the people with 500,000 and more. And I've talked to them about what kind of they look at and what they're charging. And, you know, their commercial shoots are going 20, 25, 30, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. So... For me, it's kind of like I now feel that I can add a lot of value to a brand with my work, so I'm not going to budge. And I don't have to necessarily budge because I know that I have clients that I can always get work for and that I can make money. So I'm not like financially insecure to the point where it's like, oh, okay, I'll, you know, cut off a couple hundred dollars. So I don't budge. um, And if a company just doesn't have the budget, you know, that's how it's going to go. Another thing you can do, which I've done before, and I think is a really good way to kind of get a company to trust you is you can say, how about, you know, I'm going on this trip anyways, I'm doing this adventure anyways, how about you send me a bunch of gear? And then I'll go out and take a bunch of photos because I'm going to be doing this anyways. And I'll come back to you with these photos. And if you want them, you can buy them at my licensing fee. So it's going to be more expensive if you want 200 photos because I'm going to charge you $350 per photo. But if you want to go about it that way because you want to get a sense of my work, like that's fine. I'll, I'm willing to do that um, because I know my work is going to pay off. I know they're going to want the photos when they see them. Um, realistically, the, it, it's great when a company just trusts you enough to give you an X amount of budget to go off and capture the photos and can pay you up front and then you can come back and deliver. But I do think that takes a level of trust that you have to earn uh, and develop that relationship with. Yeah. And I, you, you bring that up. I saw a, a reel a while back. I'm not sure if it was staged or not, but it was basically a negotiation for, it happened to be for some video work. And the guy said, my, my rate's 10,000. And the owner was like, ah, that's a, I wanted to do five. Like that's too much. He's like, all right, I'll charge you nothing, but I want a link from my video and any video that comes from it. And I want 50% of all sales. That's no risk to you. And it's all the risk for me. And the guy was like 50% of all sales. Like he knew, Mm -hmm. he knew what was going to come from it and the potential for that video to be around forever. And like, he goes, what if you make an amazing video? He's like, yeah, exactly. It's only $10,000. Like you, you know what it's going to be for you if it's a great video. So do you trust in my work? You've seen my work. Do you trust that I can make a great video? 
And if 10,000 is too much, let's just split the, uh, the sales from it, you know? And he, he balked at both, but it, it brought up the conversation of like, Hey, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, you're trying to, you're, you're trying to get away with something and I'm trying to help and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, it was just an interesting back and forth. Let's move on to another question. We could go all day on this one, but let's, let's power through. <laughs> what do you want next? Martin asked me how... What's their handle? Uh, Martin... He's got a tough last name. Kragiker. Kragiker. Martin Kragiker. Martin Kragiker. So it's based on how do you make money to travel and how do you acquire new clients? So I feel like a focus... we can focus on this question about acquiring new clients because that's how I make money to travel. So for me, it's kind of just transformed like pretty rapidly over the past two years of how I acquired clients. When I started out, it was like random Instagram messages to buy prints. And I was like, cool, I'll take, you know, 300 bucks here and there where I can. Cause when you start out, any money from your work is amazing. And then it kind of transitioned into Instagram focused where I was getting work for social media promotion only exclusively through Instagram. And it was, you know, three to $500 here and there for Instagram posts. And the companies didn't even want the photos after they just wanted me to exclusively post on social media for, you know, impressions. And now I still get work through Instagram But the vast majority, what I'm trying to focus on is kind of having five to 10 clients that I can work for every year. And we can go out and do a big project every month for those clients. um, And that will kind of fund the 80%, 90% of my revenue for the year. And then the rest will be, you know, print sales, licensing fees, social promotion if necessary. But I'm really trying to get away from that because I just... The more time I can spend off Instagram and off all social media, I think it's just better. I think it's better for my business. I think it's better for my mental and physical health. So I'm really trying to focus now on finding the right clients, which I think I found a couple of them, and trying to wrap my travels and my adventures that I'm interested in doing into uh, a value add for those companies and how we could align on the strategy for those jobs uh, and just kind of go forward and continue to build off of it. So now how I acquire clients is what we've been talking about with pitch decks, though I still do get uh, offers through Instagram and through my email. I actually had uh, a company find me on LinkedIn um, which I haven't been on in five years. So <laughs> that's pretty funny. Dusty, you had to blow, like blow off the dust. Yeah, I, w- I spent like an hour <laughs> that day going up and updating everything on LinkedIn. It was like, ah, here's another avenue I didn't think about. So yeah, that's kind of how it's been going for me. And like, I think everyone, even in this chat and everyone I know kind of makes money in very different ways with photography. There's been times I've done event shoots in Jackson. I've done photography for catering companies where I've just gone in and photographed plates and silverware. And, you know, there's times when it's like, I'll photograph anything because I need the money right now. And then there's times where it's like, I'm really pushing for that $15,000 commercial job with a big company um, because I want to go climb Kilimanjaro or something like that. So hoping it kind of pushes more into the ladder there where I can kind of get this list of clients that I can build a relationship with. And it's just like, Hey, it's, you know, November, we need you for this. We need fall content. We need winter content, X, Y, Z. And it can just be more of a consistent thing than me actually pitching and blasting out emails. Or you could just bring silverware to Kilimanjaro and do two birds with one stone. You know, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So how do you know when you say the right companies, right? Mm-hmm. How do you know when you found the right one and how much of that decision is, I guess what I'm asking is when you decide this is the right company, is that because they're so interested in you or is it more of a two-way street? It comes down to kind of two things for me. It's one, them showing genuine interest in me and like showing, like believing in my work and two, like me u- using their products and being like, I love your products. Like, 
I use your products all the time through all these different climates, through these harsh environments. And so you do do that. Aaron mentioned that, Mm -hmm. like having the product. So that is something you do. Yeah, absolutely. The companies I reach out to now and pitch are companies that I look around when I'm on a hike. I'm like, all right, so I use a Camelback. Like I'm eating an RX bar. Like I'm wearing an Osprey bag. Like these are the things I'm doing every single hike. And I'm an avid hiker. So like it would make a lot of sense if I could get a job with some of these companies. And then it's a big part of like, well, what are the people like on that other side of that brand? Um, are they people that I can see myself working with on a consistent basis? Are they people that are going to believe in my work? Are there even employment opportunities with those companies? Or do they have like a staff of photographers that they don't really have the budget for me? So it definitely comes from an area of like, I wear these clothes, I wear these products, I use them and I love them. And then it comes to a point of like, well, who are the people on the other side of that brand? Are they people that I can see myself working with and building relationships with? Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I love it. Let's move on to question number three. Question number three is from Miss Mallory Snoke. And it is tips for people who want to improve their photography, but don't have a fancy camera. Here we go. Yeah, I love this question. I think think the way I learned photography was such a cool way to kind of go about it. And I started with an Olympus Mark III. I I don't even remember. It's still a pretty decent camera, um, but it definitely, it's not a point and shoot, but it's not, you know, a Canon R5 or a Sony A1. Um, And I think you can get it for like 500 bucks, 600 bucks. For me, it, it like it's just about shooting every day, right? Like you really just need to go out and take photos every single day. And for me, what I did when I was learning photography, so I, I picked up a camera for the first time when COVID broke out back in May of 2020. I remember trying to learn. And so I was starting to watch videos on shooting in manual and just just like photography in general. And it was super overwhelming. And so what I did is I, I had done a bunch of research in photography and I started reading how there's so many different types, you know, you're shooting astro, you're shooting motion, you're shooting portraits, X, Y, and Z. And I thought to myself, well, why don't I focus on one thing for like 10 days and I'll just only shoot that. So the first thing I did is like, okay, I'm just going to photograph like things in motion and get really good at like adjusting my settings quickly and like capturing those moments and anticipating those moments. Um, So I would just go around my house, like photographing my cats and my dogs, like running around and photographing cars driving by my street and just capturing motion. Mm -hmm. Then it was like, okay, like how about let's capture low light? Like, let's just do low light. And I'd get up for sunrise and sunset and try to take pictures of the moon and maybe the stars if my camera kind of had that ability, which... I think most cameras do that just, you know, the quality will change, but mm-hmm. just like learning how to do those things. And then you're looking at portraits and, you know, X, Y, and Z, you keep going on and on. But by the end of like a six week period or like a three month period, you start to see all these like common things and common skills along each aspect of photography. And you kind of put it all together in the end. And then you start to realize like, I can capture photos in any moment now. Like if I want to go out and take photos of the stars, I know how to do that now. If I want to, you know, capture this moment where a car is driving through um, this empty road and the leaves are blowing in the wind, like I know what I want to capture. Um, and I thought it was a really, really, for me, effective way to learn. And it really didn't matter about the camera I had because it's about learning how to capture these moments and when to press that shutter. Uh, and less about like the resolution um, and like blowing massive prints up. Right. It's funny too, because photography is, there's like very minimal movement. You move a little bit and you click a button. That's what it looks like on the exterior. And it's easy to forget how complex, how many things in motion there actually are. I find it's a lot like a language, right? When you're learning a language in the beginning, Things are very overwhelming and complex and you just have to immerse yourself. You just have to do it repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Like I can't tell you, I just got back from Spain a couple months ago and we were doing, you know, Haley and I were doing Duolingo every night almost. 
and for months. And it was nothing compared to just being there for a week mm-hmm. and just doing it. And people know, Aaron knows, I've recently gotten into bouldering, right? And when I first got on the rock climbing wall, I was just like a fish out of water. I had no idea what I was doing. And it's just going on the wall enough times you you figure out body position and how to balance and what makes sense for different holds and and just being on the wall like you get decent and then i think like with photography it's pretty easy to get to a point where you're decent and then the natural plateau comes and that's where just small tweaks just like when you're on the rock climbing wall like small tweaks will put you to that next level or that next tier and it's just figuring out what makes sense and how to get to those and how to make those small changes and cleverly doing so even not even behind your camera like this whole episode's been about how to cleverly market yourself to a degree like that's so important too if you have interest in that like some people listening might just have fun shooting like great that's awesome but i mean there's some people who really strive and wish this is like i wish i could quit my job i wish i could do that and i think it's like it's just figuring it out like a muscle muscle memory yeah I love what Hayden said too about like giving yourself the opportunities to know everything kind of at like a a C plus B minus level even. Yeah. You know, like let let me have a foundation. So if I get called upon, if Osprey Backpack says, hey, we've been dying for like an astro shot, you're not starting at square one. You're like, all right. Uh, I have the basics. I I feel confident enough to say yes. And now I can figure out the rest Um, and, and kind of like cycle through and, and build that repertoire, build that portfolio so you're comfortable when any company or any situation comes up where they're like, hey, we'll pay you five grand to do a wedding tomorrow. And you're like, Whoa. like, uh, okay, like I've done portraits. I, I, you know, I, I can do this. I feel like I could do it versus having zero uh, background in, in any of that, um, the, the area that they're asking. So I, I think that's important too. And and not only that, it finds out like where your passion is, you know, and, and then you can take that leap to the next thing and have like a specialty. And I think that's important as well to get to a point where you're like, you know, this is my bread and butter. Uh, I'm solid everywhere else, but I am very good here. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You know, and I think that the struggle is always like you start out, you want to be at a certain level now right? Like it's, it's the time factor. And you got to realize that like language, like bouldering, like playing an instrument, like it's just time. You just, you need to be comfortable being patient and knowing that every day you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to fail. You're going to miss shots, but like the time will add up and in a couple years or months or however long it takes you, you know, you'll start sitting there one day and maybe a fox will jump out and you'll just capture the perfect moment and the perfect composition with the perfect light. And you'll be like, oh, wow, like I was ready for that. Like, because I built that, that skill set up by just being patient and by learning and practicing every day. I mean, I think there were hundreds of times I went out in the Tetons when I was first starting and like would see the most incredible sunset and would have animals pop out and I'd just go back and it's like, everything's out of focus. The highlights are blown out. Like I just missed the shot and it was extremely frustrating, but I just go back out the next day and like mm-hmm. have another experience and another opportunity to get better. And after a while, it's just become second nature with how you're moving and changing the settings and how you're like positioning your body so that you can capture those shots and, yeah, it's cool. It's cool when you can kind of get to that point and look back and say like, there were so many times where I was like really just frustrated and it was really difficult. And I would look at other people's work and say, why can't I get there? Why doesn't mine look like that? And then now I'm at the point where I'm like, you know, my work looks like the way I want it to look. That's like, it's my own work. It's my own style. But I got to this point by like putting in the time and just going out and shooting every day and I'm sure both of you guys can attest to that. Yeah, there's a there's a common thread there with everyone on this podcast that has had success in photography. And it's like, yeah, I've made mistakes and it's frustrating, but I took that as a learning opportunity and went out the next day. You know, there's there's no one on here that's successful or doing what they want with photography that's like, I made mistakes and just uh, sold my camera. 
you know, like it, I just gave it up. I just wasn't, it's not for me. Um, and I think that's, uh, whether it's photography, bouldering, whatever it is, uh, you, there's this mindset of, I'm going to mess up and that's okay, but I'm going to learn from it and try to improve the next day. Like period. I didn't mean to rhyme right there, but <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I'm a poet. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know, like I, I think there's a, there's a lot of people that are afraid to mess up. And when they do, they, they just like go into their shell quickly and like, ah, that was embarrassing. That hurt my ego. What, like whatever, like, I'm just not gonna, that, that wasn't comfortable. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and I think that's important too. Like, I think it's good to hear, like you look at your portfolio and you have beautiful, absolute beautiful shots to know that you're going home and being like, that was out of focus and like overexposed or underexposed or kind of just messy. And I have them. I mean, there's, there's shots that haunt me to this day, uh, from like just sloppy missed, missed the opportunity. Uh, I know Seth does too. We won't talk about the golden Eagle holding the Fox. (laughs) We won't talk about that shot. Shot of a lifetime. Oh, gone. God. But I, I just think that's, I like to stop in when like someone says something important, Seth does too. But I think that's an important um, point of like you said, like I made mistakes, but couldn't wait to get out there the next day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, like just having that, I think one thing I've learned through life is that like when you put in the time and effort things in life, in my opinion, kind of become inevitable. Like a level of success becomes inevitable because if you work really hard at something every single day, like you will become successful. You will become good at that. And you might not be, you know, the best. You might not be the greatest of all time, but you're going to be good at it because that's how life works. You put the time and effort in, you know, it's going to pay off and it's going to show. And so I, I kind of understood that at like uh, the very beginning of photography and realized that I just need to shoot. I just need to go out and shoot every day, every day and like shoot different things and try new things and challenge myself. And like when I feel comfortable shooting one thing, like let's move on to something else. Was there a blueprint for you though? Like you started photography at a certain point, but uh, we talk about like the blueprint of, you know, learning an instrument and knowing like that scaffolding or karate or gymnastics or bat like was there a blueprint that you had that you could kind of fall back on that was like, you know, I got to work through the frustrations and know that it takes time versus this is supposed to just happen overnight, isn't it? You know, I was lucky to kind of be out in Jackson where even when I missed shots, I was like, well, that was a pretty beautiful night. Like that was yeah. a pretty, you know, magical moment. I just saw a bear walk in front of this crazy waterfall and then a moose came out. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, you missed the shot, but like, the memory there is pretty cool. So I was always able to kind of fall back on that. And that kind of also just got me excited for the, to go out again. Um, And then just like exploring the national park, like, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys have been out to the Tetons, but you know, I, I spent only about two years I've been out there. And when I started photography, I went out and shot every day for six months, um, sunrise and sunset, just every single day. And so I would go to shoot the classic spots that everyone's seen and try to like uh, emulate shots I've seen, copy compositions, just like try to see if I could get those shots. And after a while, that got really boring. And so I started just exploring the park and like pushing into new trails and like deeper into the park. And I'd have these moments where I'd just be like alone in this incredible place and then the Tetons and just like, it was just like... uh I was really content, you know, it was a really like happy place to be. And the photos always kind of came much more fluid in that moment because I didn't have the pressure of like a bunch of photographers with their tripods all around me shooting at Schwabacher's landing and the sunset fading. Like I just have this moment in this place to kind of be by myself and I could let my creativity flow. So being in that place like really helped. And then of course, you know, like you have so much activity out there where you have rock climbing and skiing and mountain biking. So I had all these friends I could just go photograph doing these activities and I could do it with them. And that was always pretty, pretty amazing and such a good way to learn too. Yeah, that's, that's, that makes complete sense. And man, what a place to, to be around. I have not, I've yet to be to the Tetons. So that is on my, uh, it's my short list. 
Yeah. Yeah. Definitely added to it because, uh, it's just such like a great place for photography because mm-hmm. you can hit all the classic spots, which they're over photographed, but it's well-deserved because they're so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but then you can just drive around or walk around and just find amazing things or just have wildlife encounters that are in such unique spots that no one else has really photographed before. And, mm. um, that's, that's pretty special. I think if you could go during one month of the year, when do you go to the Tetons? It'd be right now. So late September, early October, because it really clears out. There aren't many people mm-hmm. and all the Aspens change. So you have a lot of vibrant color and all the animals are moving. So the, elk are all migrating the moose are all hanging out in kind of this one area and they all have their really crisp rack and then the bears are like really eating a ton so they're super active as they're getting ready to hibernate and it's like you have wildlife everywhere you have these incredible colors you have it's a little colder so you really get that like crisp light and soft light Um, and there just aren't many people so you don't really get those traffic jams you don't really get that like overflow of tourism um that you do in the summer Mm -hmm. and uh for me that's one of my favorite times yeah that's amazing gonna have to do it seth Mm -hmm. you in Mm -hmm. as always aaron yeah good as always good 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 how many more questions we got there hayden uh two more questions let's do it um so from regala doc (laughs) that's wrong (laughs) said with no confidence yeah (laughs) um how do you find um the places you want to travel how do you choose where you want to travel to next so i guess some can be decided on work on where i have work or where i can find work but i guess like for me it's really just about having new experiences and having some sense of like adventure um, something that's going to challenge me, something typically with mountains, a place with mountains I really love, but just some country and place where there's going to be adventure, there's going to be a story there to tell, there's going to be um, a new experience that could be cultural based or just, you know, a new landscape to see. That's kind of where I'm at is I want to keep doing these bigger and bigger adventures. And I have always found that like the more underdeveloped the country is the more like unique and exciting that place is. And that's just because it feels like there's such a energy to it. And usually it's because those places are really crowded. But for me, from a photographer standpoint, like that is amazing. It's amazing to experience. It's amazing to put yourself, you know, as someone who comes from a really small town in New Hampshire into like a chaotic city like Kathmandu, it's just a sensory overload. And then to have your camera with you and feel confident with it, like you get some really cool photos. So for me, it's like new experiences and kind of just like those really challenging places that are going to be a little bit harsher uh, environmentally, culturally. Um, I feel like that's just kind of where I really enjoy to be. Do you ever match a brand gig to a place? Like does a place sometimes make sense for a certain client? It's kind of tricky. So like... You know, a good example is the work I've done for Steo. They exclusively, their photos come from like the U.S. in the mountains, like Jackson, Alaska, Colorado, and then like Canada and like British Columbia and, and Alberta. Um, so the vast majority of their photos are from those regions. And so for me, I'm like, hey, I could take your gear down to Ecuador and go climb some volcanoes. And I'm sure you guys don't have any photos from down there. So there is that kind of appeal to say like you put your products into a lot of wintry environments that show how they protect people from the cold and from snow. But what if I took that product and brought it to a desert or brought it into a rainforest? Like I'm sure it'll still protect me and um, be really effective uh, and useful for me. And I'm sure you guys don't have many photos uh, of your products in the jungles of Ecuador. So, so you can almost use the place to fill a gap in it and be part of the value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. Like create it yourself, right? 
Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. I think finding like the holes, right? Like the holes in, in in just the the campaigns, the marketing. Like you said, you know, if you're going somewhere new and uh, here's this opportunity, yeah. Um, Seth and I did that with with Cotopaxi. I think you know we just brought their stuff into the city. You know, um, they want to start making like an urban line and and things for in commuters. Canada. Yeah, in Canada, Canada, um, making things for commuters and their stuff's rugged and and lasts well. You know, why not drag it on the subway and bring it to work and put your gym clothes in it? Um, you're missing an entire market. So I think that's that's really smart. I'm patting yeah. myself on the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good job, Aaron. Yeah, good job, me. <laughs> what an awesome brand, too. I mean, I love the colors that they use. They just so cool, so cool. They stand out, and yeah, their gear is amazing. So that's a just a phenomenal company. Here comes the plug: TPM ten for ten percent off. There you go, TPM ten for ten percent off. Go to Paxi. <laughs> Why not? Why not? If you like it, and you're going to buy it anyways. Get ten percent off. Absolutely, um, Hayden. How do you tell? How do you let a company know? Here's where you're lacking without coming off too harsh. It's a good question. Um, sometimes it can be obvious, and I'm I'm sure sometimes like I think you just kind of have to put in a positive light. Like, you know, how cool would it be if you guys had some photos of you know this sun shirt like uh, in the deserts of Peru, and then you know I could take that same sun shirt and then go into the jungles of Brazil, like. And, you know, they can kind of say, oh, yeah, you know, we don't actually have any photos of those areas with our products there. And they kind of fill the gap themselves. Other companies like, you know, a company like Osprey, it's like, I'm going to bring your backpack everywhere I go, regardless. And so I want to kind of show how I can fit your backpack into all these unique environments and these unique places. And, you know, I'm sure the bigger the company, like a North Face, you know, they're going to have their products in a lot of locations and a lot of places. So it's much more difficult there. Um, for me, I like to kind of work with the smaller brands, the local brands, um, the brands that will be willing to kind of take a risk on you and the brands that really have that, that gap is a bit more apparent that, you know, I can fill and add value to. Awesome. Great answer. Insightful. Let's move on to final question. Final question. Final question. From uh, Noah Hawaii, Ooh. and it is uh, what big peaks am I going for? Literal peaks. Literal peaks. All right. So this past year, I ended up climbing um, Cotopaxi down in Ecuador, <gasps> uh, which was pretty awesome. Definitely. Cotopaxi. Was, yeah, Cotopaxi. Um, it's definitely the most challenging physical thing I've done, I think, in my life. Um, but it definitely sparked this sense of uh, challenge and like, you know, when you do something really, really challenging, something that like part of you doesn't think you can actually do and then you are successful. It's like, oh, like what else can I do? Like I want to keep pushing it. So I climbed Cotopaxi and then I went down to Mexico and climbed um, Pico de Orizaba, which is a tallest mountain in Mexico. And so going forward, the big mountains for me is like Denali I definitely want to climb in the next couple of years. There's a bunch of mountains down in Ecuador and Peru, like Chimborazo and Aconcagua down in Argentina is on the list for sure. And eventually just working my way towards the the big Himalayas. Uh, I'd like to inevitably do uh, climb Everest. Um, but that that's something that just feels very far away and it definitely scares the shit out of me. So it's like kind of taking it small step at a time and focusing on maybe a few of the smaller, more attainable mountains before getting into the big boys. Hmm. Have you seen what's going on there recently? Everest? Yeah. Down with, uh, with, uh, Hillary Nelson. Well, I just mean with the traffic on the oh, mountain. Yeah. 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 I've seen that. And I was actually down there at base camp when, um, Nims died, took that photo um of that huge traffic jam back in 2019 and you know mm. i've had a lot of friends in the climbing world and mountaineering world tell me that they never want to do everest because they you know the the porters the sherpas carry your gear up and this fixed ropes the whole way and you know you can 
say that. I think it's very easy to say, but like you still got to get your ass up to 29,000 feet. And like, I don't care if you're carrying nothing, like that is hard. You know, when I climbed Cotopaxi back in February, it was like 19.4. That kicked my ass. Like I was hurting. I was in pain. It was so hard to just like, you know, find the energy and the desire to keep going. You just, your brain's just telling you like, just quit, just turn around. It's fine. It doesn't matter. No one expected you to make it anyways. And like, that's 10,000 feet lower than Everest. So like... I do understand that. I understand the log jams. I understand the people that have just a ton of money and just go and want to climb it. But like, it's still in my mind is something that's super respectable. And like, it takes just an incredible amount of energy and commitment from you. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's still, you know, it's such a cool mountain. I can't only imagine what it'd feel like to stand on top of it. Um, So I'd like to, and you know, maybe I'd like to do it in like a off peak season time uh when it's not super crowded but i know that's just a lot more difficult and risky but that's just so far away from for me in my lifetime that it's like not something i think about on a daily basis no i'm just sitting here like contemplating digesting all this you just like for my own personal improvement as well yeah and my kind own of personal innovation you know what i mean i'm sure you know what i mean because uh, it's always <laughs> good to hear like other people's perspective on how they approach things and learn and sort of grow together. I mean, there's so many opportunities and there's so many companies that it's pretty unrealistic to say that having too many, like there's no such thing really as competitors. There's almost an infinite amount of possibilities and there's new companies forming every day and people dropping out of photography, people coming in, like it's good to grow together in my opinion. Absolutely. I love that. So Hayden, thank you very much for your time today your second time on the show. Thank you to all your, your followers who put in questions. Shout out to those people. Is there anything else you, you want to say or add or let people know that you're up to? I mean, your Instagram hand will be in the, the title of the episode. But yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add, Aaron, too? You know, nothing from me. Uh, just thanks, guys, for having me on. I, I really uh, love this podcast. I feel like it's just the conversation always flows so well. Um even you're doing something specific like answering uh, these questions, but you guys are just really good at what you do. And I love uh, coming on here and talking with you guys. Yeah, well, thank you to you for, for coming yeah. on a second time. And also thank you to, to listeners. We just doubled our, we doubled our uh, monthly listener record this month. Amazing. Doubled it. So thanks, for being, it. thanks for being a part of that journey. And thanks for all the new followers, the old ones. Just really appreciative. But uh yeah, Aaron, anything else? No, uh, you know, we always appreciate if you stop what you're doing right now and go on to Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you're listening to this, Apple Podcasts, and give a little rating. A uh, five-star rating would be great. That helps. One little pr- tap. Promote it. One little tap. That's all you tap, 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 Just tap. Just one little tap. Little tap, 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 <laughs> Just get a little tap if you're listening. Stop, pull over, pull over safely. A little tap. And then uh, carry on with your way. You never have to do it again. It won't let you do it again. It's just one time. That's it. That's it. One time. Did I sell you? I, sell I you hope guys? so. Yeah, I, I hope, hope so. so. No, but thank you again, uh, all the listeners. Uh, Hayden, thank you. Love talking. Um, yeah, we'll talk soon. 